Price, and welcome to Concord Matters. We have a simple goal here on Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. For as we say as Lutherans, we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with God's holy word. Because if it's not about God's word, then what's the point? I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Last week, we confessed the doctrine by which the church stands or falls, justification. I invite you to listen to our study from last week on AC4 because that shows us just as if we have not sinned. A question that arises today as we continue to look to Christ is how does one receive those benefits from the cross and the empty tomb 2,000 years ago and receive them today? That is where we hear of the ministry. And it starts with these words, which I think are so important for us, so that we may obtain this faith. That's why we have the ministry. That's why we have everything, is that we may believe in Christ. So as we look at this, open up your Bible, open up your Book of Concord, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Pastor Jewell, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you, Brady. So good to be with you today as we take a look at this most important article from the Augsburg Confession. Looking forward to it. Pastor Jewell, this is our first time together on Concord Matters. We've been together before, but tell us about yourself for our guests, your family, and the work of the saints at St. Peter's. Yes, I am originally from Southern Illinois, about an hour and a half southeast of St. Louis, where I grew up. I'm a 2002 graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I currently serve at St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin, which is about half an hour north of the state capital in Madison, not too far from Wisconsin Dells either, which is uh, the playground for the upper Midwest. Uh, Now it's a year-round thing. It used to be a summertime thing. Married, uh, my wife and I, Becky, this October will celebrate 20 years of holy matrimony. And I have five children ranging in age from 18 all the way down to almost seven. And uh, enjoy serving the congregation here in southern Wisconsin. Uh, the newest blessing that we'll be receiving pretty soon, Brady, is in mid-July we'll be receiving a vicar, a young man from our seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, we'll be serving here, and we're looking forward to having him in just a few days and getting him uh, inducted into his year-long internship among us and the work of the ministry and the work of the gospel here in Arlington uh, as, a, as a team ministry. I'm looking forward to it. So that's a reminder for our listeners to pray for those uh, men who will be going on their vicarages throughout the United States, when I guess around the world in some cases. And Pastor, can you break that down for us a little bit for our listeners? What is a vicar or a vicarage? Yeah, uh, you're after your second year of seminary studies, it's a four-year program usually, and after your second year, in most circumstances, you are given an assignment to serve in a congregation 
under a pastor as a supervisor. And I guess you might say it is, for lack of a better term, on-the-job training. It gives the, uh, the student the day-to-day uh, -day view of the scope of the work of being a pastor in a congregation. Uh, sometimes it's a multi-point congregation where he could be working in two or even three or more congregations. In the case of our situation here, we'll have a, a young man who will be here for one year's time shadowing me. And we call that a vicar, which has different connotations for different Christian church bodies. But for us, he is a ministerial intern. He is not ordained. Uh, he is assisting me. Uh, he'll have opportunities to preach the gospel here. He'll have opportunities to teach both uh, in youth and adult catechesis, as well as Bible studies. He'll shadow me on hospital calls, nursing home calls, uh, homebound calls, things like that. And as he grows in his time here, the year that he'll be here, he'll get to do some on his own things. And the goal ultimately is to send him back to seminary, kicking and screaming that he doesn't want to leave here <laughs> and wants to find a congregation, which God willing, in uh, another year's time after his final year back on campus, he'll be, uh, he'll be then uh, sent with a, a divine call into the ministry, be ordained and installed at his first congregation. And as a reminder for our listeners to not only pray for our vicars as they go out, Pastor Jewel and I did our uh, our vicarages, as he said, our third year, and and what a blessing that was. You, you learn, you uh, um, are formed, you learn what not to do, you learn what to do, and then you also realize what you do not know. <laughs> it's one of the main That's aspects true. of vicarage. <laughs> so so pray, pray for him and also pray for our supervisors like Pastor Jewel as they uh, also realize how much... They do not know, but yet yes. the Lord chooses them um, to help in that formation and what a blessing it is. And it is quite appropriate that we're speaking of vicarage when we're looking at Article 5, uh, which is the ministry. And I love how it starts, as I mentioned before, so that we may obtain this faith. It speaks about how faith is, well, as we talk about often here on Concord Matters, the care of souls uh, is that they will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, died, risen, and ascended for you. And how, okay, how do we get that nowadays? So I encourage you, our listeners, to, as we are studying from the Concordia Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, to turn open your book to page 33, Article 5. And I want to start this way with the note. It gives us a summary and ask a few questions before we dig in. So, we start confessing by reading the note on page 33 on the ministry. How can what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago through his life, death, and resurrection become effective in our lives today? During the Reformation, as also today, some imagine that they would experience the Holy Spirit through their own reflections, by enjoying nature, or by ecstatic religious experiences. The comforting truth is that the Holy Spirit works through the objective, external, sure, and certain means of grace through which we receive justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. While the most direct concern of Article 5 is to confess the Holy Spirit's work through the means of grace, there's also a view indirectly of the office of the ministry, which the German version of the Augsburg Confession calls the preaching office. The preaching office is not instituted by man, but established by God himself. Article 14 discusses the necessity of the church call. 
Now, Pastor, before we dig in to the actual text, it's important for us to be able to just go through some realities that we hear of in our culture. Because if you were to someone were to say, I'm in the ministry, you probably ask, have to ask a few more questions in our culture today because there's a lot of definitions. How do you want to start us off as we look at Article 5, the ministry? I would like for you to think of uh, something concrete. I had a professor through my seminary years who's now with the Lord, and his name is Richard Muller. Richard Muller was a professor that you'd want to have if you were a visual thinker and a visual learner. He had he was big on flowcharts and graphs and, think, gra- and things like that. And so the flowchart that I want you to consider is a picture of a heart, a picture of an arrow, and a picture of um, a picture of a cross. And I want to work the other direction from what I just said. So how am I going to get the benefits of what happened on the cross at Calvary and subsequently Jesus rising from the, from the tomb, from death into life again? How am I going to get the benefits of that event into my life? So that's what the heart means. And Article 5, dealing with the ministry, really is the arrow in that diagram. I, it takes the benefits of what Jesus has done for me some 2,000 years ago and brings it into my life right now. Somebody has to carry the freight. They have to deliver the gifts. And that delivering of the gifts is how our Lord Jesus has set up his ministry. And he sets it up in John chapter 20, when he breathes on his disciples, a rather awkward way of uh, getting them ready to proclaim the gospel. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. So that's where our Lord Jesus sets this up. And that's really what ministry is, is the delivering of the gifts that Christ gives his church into someone's life. It can happen uh, at the bedside of someone in a hospital uh, as they are uh, sick or even dying. It can happen in the homes of those who cannot come to church. When uh, if, if they can't make it to church, I bring church to them, and I go and preach a, a sermon to them, a short sermon, and give them the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, it happens, uh, sometimes it happens uh, on an airplane ride or on a train ride, or when you are uh, in a public place, especially if you're in uniform, so to speak. If I'm wearing my collar and people notice that I'm wearing my collar, they'll want to come up to me. And and you'd be surprised that a collar is like a magnet. It draws people into having a conversation with you about Jesus and about what people think about Jesus. And it gives me an opportunity to hear what they think about Jesus and ultimately to declare to them the joy of the forgiveness of sins. That really is what the ministry is about, Brady, is the joy of proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, getting that event that happened all those years ago into people's lives. As we look at this, as you mentioned so clearly, is that it's always about the Word of God. And I want to just kind of jump on a little bit when you talk about the clerical collar. Clearly, when 
people see that they know that you are definitely set apart in a different role than most of society. And I remember one of my dear friends who we've had here on Concord Matters, uh, Pastor Timothy Sims, was explaining why we wear a collar to a man who is Jewish, a practicing Jewish man. And he just spoke about how, when especially wearing black, that you're black and you're surrounded by black. And the only part that you say that is holy is right on the voice box where you have that little black tab. Of course, you have different versions. I'm not saying that those are wrong or anything, but that was his example. And I think that fits so well in this is that it's not only a magnet because of a uniform, but when we're able to understand it in that light, that the only good I have to give to you is what God has to say through his word is such a powerful vision for us to remember about the office of the holy ministry. Pastor, any other thoughts before we dig in? One other thing about the forgiveness of sins, too, and it your story from Pastor Sims reminds me of another story I recently heard about a seminary professor who was on an airplane ride with someone who was a Vietnam veteran. And the Vietnam veteran uh, was sitting next to this professor, and the professor was not in uniform that day. He was in mufti, so to speak. And they ask each other what they did in life, and the professor goes, well, I'm a I'm a theological professor, Lutheran seminary, and I'm also a Lutheran pastor. And the guy began to unload on him on this airplane ride all of his fears and all of his hurt, especially dealing with his time serving our country in Vietnam. And it got to the point where the uh, the airline flight attendant was coming through, you know, picking up the trash and, you know, get your, get your trays in the upright position because we're going to land, get the seatbelt on. Well, the pastor said, I have one more thing to say to you. And he stood up when he probably shouldn't have stood up. And he laid his hands on the man's head and forgave him his sins right there. Mm -hmm. Spoke the absolution to him right there on the plane. And the long and short of this is for the next two weeks, because this professor handed him his business card, the guy called him up and said, Pastor, could you say those words to me that you said on the airplane that time? You know about the the forgiveness of my sins in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to hear that again and again and again. That's the ministry for you, proclaiming Christ's word of forgiveness to sinners. Well, that gets me even more excited to dig into the text. Uh, thank you for that uh, wonderful story. So reminder to our listeners, we're on page 33 of the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, page 33, and we'll actually dig into the Augsburg Confession. So that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. Through the word and sacraments, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given. John chapter 20, verse 22. He works faith when and where it pleases God. John 3, verse 8. And those who hear the good news, that God justifies those who believe, that they are received into grace for Christ's sake. That happens not through our own merits, but for Christ's sake. As we look at this, Pastor, it's very glaring that it doesn't get into, like, for example, the responsibilities of the office of the ministry. It doesn't dig into, okay, this is the kind of man that should be in the ministry. It focuses everything on faith and the word. How do you want to start us off? That's the best place to start off. Um, and I don't want to get too technical on this, but when we lose... We lose a little something in translation, 
And the word here for about, uh, the, the Germans have a different way of saying things than we do here in America. And for ministry, a lot of times, they will use a word that is translated, as you said earlier, preaching office. And we've lost this idea, I think, of what an office is in the English language, because it's, it's hard to say. We, we want to turn it into a function or an activity or something like that. It's, it's kind of who we are. You know, there's the office of parent, the office of child. Uh, there are also uh, extra ecclesial offices, things that are outside of the church, the office of governor, the office of president, things like that. So this is a preaching office. And what office is it? It's an office that is about handing over the word, chiefly the gospel of Jesus Christ, which does, in the wider sense, include also proclaiming uh, the conviction of sin in the preaching of the law. It's also for the giving of uh, the gifts in the gospel in, uh, with water and baptism, uh, under bread and wine, in the Lord's Supper, uh, as I talked about a moment ago with the theological professor standing up and laying his hands on the man and forgiving his sins, absolution is a part of that as well. Um, that's how we receive this faith. The faith is not something that is out there uh, like fog or like something that's floating around in the ether, so to speak. It's something that is attached to concrete things. Uh, the word. It is visible word, uh, external word, you might say. Um, this is how we obtain the faith, and it's how we receive the faith and how the faith is passed on. And back to my point about office, this office is indeed something that pastors do, and vicars are given a little share of that as well. Uh, but if, if we think, too, of the fact that uh, office can extend uh, to the office of parent as well. I'm not saying that every mom and dad is a pastor, but they do have a share of this proclamation of the gospel in their calling as mom and dad. Think of how you first heard the word as a child. Your mom and your dad spoke it to you. Uh, a Sunday school teacher perhaps spoke this to you. Your grandparents spoke this to you. Uh, in a way, they are exercising uh, the office of preaching, but they're not doing it in a public way, uh, because if we had that uh, happening, we'd have 100 people standing up in church preaching all at the same time, and then we get back to Paul in 1 Corinthians, which would take us over to thy strong word to talk about. <laughs> so um, this ministry is the giving of the gospel, and it can happen in a lot of different ways, but what matters to our Lord is, is that the word gets out. And we're probably going to get to some words that um, in just a moment, in fact, it probably is going to be the next question here is, I guess, what you're going to ask me. Uh, this business of when and where it pleases, is that is that coming up here pretty soon? It is, but I did, I did want to emphasize uh, this, uh, a few things, as we sure. look at exactly what you just mentioned on how... Uh, why do we set apart one individual? Because the argument could be made, much like you just said, why do I need a pastor when I, as a parent, 
will read my small catechism to my kid at home, or I'll give them a blessing before they go to bed, or I'll forgive their sins when they repent. So I, I have the Bible. I got the Bible on my phone. I got the Bible on my podcast. I got the Bible there. Um, why would I need a pastor when I basically uh, do the, I can do this all myself. Uh, pastor, what would you say to that individual who says that? I, you, would, you would not be surprised to know I have had people tell me that through the years as a pastor, that I don't necessarily need what you do. I can do this myself. I've also had people, even family members, come up to me and say, well, Dave, uh, my church is the duck blind. My church is the deer stand. My church is the fishing boat. On Sunday morning, I'm communing with God in nature. And uh to that, I always say, well, have you ever been able to find the body and blood of Jesus in the mouth of a largemouth bass? And the answer to that usually is no. Uh, now, to the mom and the, and the dad thing, I would remind moms and dads, which I'm a dad, I have five children of my own, that it is a joy to be a member of of the priesthood of the baptized that Peter talks about in his first epistle in chapter two, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. It's a wonderful thing to be in that. And we are by virtue of our baptism. And so that's where we're given to speak that word to our family. Um, and it's another thing, though, to be able to do this publicly, because since the days of are the Holy Spirit's descent at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and those days that followed, God's people gather together as a group in the flesh uh, in a corporate gathering, and one from among them, one from the Holy Church, stands up and speaks this word and applies this word to the daily lives of the people who are there to hear and then is given the privilege and honor of handing over the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of faith. This person usually uh, is called by the church to do so, is trained by the church to do so, and is uh, certified by the church to do so. By certification, I mean they have been examined, their life has been examined, what they have been taught is examined. And they say, yes, this man has received adequate training to go into a group of Christians and proclaim to them the hope of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that's where it's all at. This is the way our Lord has set things up. It would be nice if we could do this by ourselves, but it would also do dishonor to our Lord and how he set up his... Uh, how he set up the giving over of his gifts and how, how he desires for us to rest in him and be uh, those given to. And that's, it's, it's beautiful as we look at it because we see examples. Not only is it clear that we need it, we need someone to, from outside of ourselves, as we're talking here, to bring those gifts to us. Um, just like we need someone to tell us that they love us continuously, we need to remind, be reminded of God's love for us. And what's the best way to find that is through the gospel and the sacraments. And we set that person aside to be able to do so. And we see this throughout other examples, I would say, in, in Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 talks about being stewards of the mysteries of God. 
The book of Acts is just full of examples as Paul and Barnabas and others went into towns that they set apart a man to proclaim and give those gifts. And you see it throughout, as you said, we, we, we vet these individuals, these pastors, future pastors. We look at 1 Timothy 3, we look at Titus 1, able to teach all of these, and we look at it and we say, Lord, this man has been set aside for this task. And is it's a... Um, it's not at all to diminish the work of a parent and proclaiming the word. It's not trying to take over other offices, as you've said so well, but it, it is one that clearly is something that the Lord has put in front of us and something that we take very serious. So I, I want to get to the part that you had mentioned before, but anything else you want to highlight as we look at, okay, this is a special office that the Lord has given to us. Apt to teach. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one thing too, that, um, I'm going to be looking at here in the next few days as we welcome a vicar into our midst. Certainly he has received a little bit of education on being able to teach in his seminary training. Perhaps he's been given opportunities to teach in a congregation where he attends on a Sunday morning and maybe is able to teach a Sunday school class or teach a confirmation instruction to our, our um, young people. Uh, but that's so important, is the ability not only to know and believe our Lord's Word, but to be able to teach it to others. And for the one who is apt to teach, is that man also teachable himself? Because in leaving seminary and becoming a pastor, you've just received the beginning of your education. Your education continues now every day that you sit at your study desk and open up the scriptures, because when you open up the scriptures to begin to preach or to teach, God's people are already there in those words, and they are waiting to hear what you have to say. And so the ability to be able to say it in such a way that you may teach God's Word and preach God's Word is so important. And I take my hat off to our seminaries for being able to identify men who are apt to teach. Well, we need to take our break. We are studying the fifth article of the Augsburg Confession, the ministry. And we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying the truth of the ministry as confessed from the Augsburg Confession with Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Now, Pastor, I want to start uh, this, our second half, as we look at the ministry with maybe some, uh, maybe frustrations uh, with, with the ministry. I don't want to have a long list here, but frustrations because it is true and it is actually comforting, but it can be frustrating when it says, that he works faith when and where it pleases God. 
John chapter three, verse eight, where it talks about wind blows where and when it pleases. And we see that in relation to the word of God. Now, that can be quite frustrating as a pastor, because I want to know that when I preach the word, that someone will believe. And that when I call someone to repentance, they will repent. And when I do it well, then my church grows and that the stewardship is good and that the confirmants come back to church and that the baptisms are fruitful and, and that my own children will be in the faith. I want all of that to happen, but it doesn't quite say that. What does it tell us? And where do I find comfort in this? Well, Brady, you're using the wrong pronouns there. You're using oh, a lot no. of first person singular <laughs> and boy, oh boy, that's, but that's the sinful human nature for you is, uh, the use of the first person singular is everything. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I want my children to be pious, young ch Christians who uh, appreciate learning from Luther's small catechism, appreciate praying with mom and dad when they go to bed at night, appreciate all this, appreciate going to church in the first place, but I, 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 I. And Article 5 says here, there is no I in this. It is all in the work of the Holy Spirit. He works faith, says Article 5, when and where it pleases God. I have been privileged since I've been here in Arlington to help a congregation in the neighborhood who's trying to plant a mission about 20 miles east of where I serve. And right now, uh, speaking of when and where it wills, uh, that mission is on pause. Um, last year, the mission began with once a week on Saturday evenings having, having church. And there was a small gathering of people in this community where uh, we would have a service of the word. And over time, uh, the, we were not seeing, we being myself and the other pastors who were involved in this, there was a couple other congregations also helping out, uh, we saw that things were off to a rather slow start summertime in Wisconsin, people are traveling, people are vacationing, and then you get fall and winter. And as you know, here in the Northern Midwest, our winters can be rather brutal. And so it, um, it just seemed like things were getting off on a not so good foot. So we sat down together as pastors and prayed for the Lord's wisdom and saw with a little help from the South Wisconsin district office, that maybe it's time to hit the pause button on this. Now, does that mean that the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word in this uh, mission outreach uh, stunk it up? No. Uh, it just means that the word was effective because the word is always effective wherever it is planted. I think of the prophet Isaiah uh, on that. But it also means that Maybe our timing was not all that good at this time, and maybe if we go back, say, later this year and look at a different location or look at a different approach, maybe it's to start with a small group Bible study rather than a full-on service of the Word. Um, maybe moving it, uh, we were meeting at a public school in an auditorium, maybe moving it to a smaller location, maybe even moving it to the next community over might be helpful with this. That's all part of the when and where he wills. I think, too, Brady, of congregations who uh, were planted and who prospered 
and the Lord blessed that congregation for so long. And then the congregation, uh, due to factors that are out of their control, uh, began to shrink numerically. Now they grew in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but the numbers aren't there and the giving financially was not there. And the Lord made it clear that that ministry in this place is over. And that hurts when it happens. And it's happening, uh, I'm not that far from Milwaukee, and we've seen that happen in Milwaukee. And I used to serve near Chicago, and we've seen that happen in Chicago, as in other places, smaller communities, rural communities. This is especially uh, a situation. And we need to remember when these things happen that, because uh, the human condition wants to point the finger of blame and say, well, it was their fault or it was this fault. No. Um, think of all of the ways that our Lord manifested his word and his sacraments in this place. And now it is time for uh, this ministry to continue someplace else. When and where he wills, not when and where I will. And it's hard for sinful human beings to let go of that control oftentimes. So what would you encourage our pastors, as you mentioned in that scenario, or any scenario, that you preach the word, you're administering the sacraments, you're caring for people, you're interacting, as it tells us, to have a good uh, view, or that they're looking positively in the community, because uh, that's an important piece of, of a pastor as well. What would you encourage a pastor, um, or a congregation, where you're like, man, we're preaching the word, we're administering the sacraments, but things are not moving forward? What would you tell them? What should they do next? I used to have on my study wall, and I haven't put it up since I've moved into this study, a little quote from one of Martin Luther's sermons on Luke chapter 5, which is the catch of fish. And he says in that, if I can paraphrase it, um, if you are a pastor about the business of preaching the word in your community and the results that you're seeing just aren't what you think they are, remember this. God has put you into that office, and he will bless you in what you do, whether or not you have numerical or financial success. If you don't know why this is happening, God knows why is it, it is happening. And that's all you need to worry about is the good Lord is in control of this thing. But if you are having what the world considers success at what you're doing, then not only does it please God, but it also pleases you, the preacher, as well. So, I, and I, I know, Brady, as a district president, you're the kind of guy who would sit a brother down like I would sit a brother down and say, what you are doing is holy work, and your work is not in vain. You may never see it this side of paradise but think of the countless numbers of people whom you have blessed simply by being there and giving them Jesus Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. On judgment day, you will see it with perfect eyes, but now you don't see it that way, but someday you will. As one pastor said, uh, uh, keep giving the gifts. <laughs> Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And I, I think about this perspective as well. As I think about my own life, how many people shared the word of God with me 
and how many of them I have not sat down and said, listen, you were a great blessing to me. You are a great blessing to me. And here's where this happened. And often when I have done it, I haven't done it like I should. They're like, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> you right. remember it, but they don't remember it at all. And so that's something where it's an encouragement, not only of us remembering for a pastor who is out there and, and that for you, our listeners, or if you are a pastor out there to remember that you know, it was about giving the gifts and for your pastor, remember that's his job is to give the gifts is to, if you've had been blessed by a pastor in the past, go and tell them, thank you for bringing me the gifts of Christ. Thank you for this. And also to pray for your pastors that they may do it continuously to continue to do it faithfully. I want to show, I want to share one more frustration I have. Now I jest just for your listeners. No, I'm not trying to deny the confessions or anything, but I jest because of my old Adam at the very end, it says, this happens not through our own merits, but for Christ's sake. So here's, here's what I, here's what I wanted to say. Once again, I'm using first person pronouns. Um, anyways, is I wanted to say, this happens because you had a great style to your teaching. You had great creativity with your preaching. You have a great personality for your own merits. And thanks be to me for what I did. But it doesn't say that. I wanted to say that, but it does not say that. Um, and that's a struggle for each one of us because um, we want to look at this is what I did and this is why it worked. But here it clearly says that's not what this is about. What is it about, Pastor? Once upon a time, I was a radio disc jockey. You can probably tell by the sound of my voice. Um, and I have received multiple compliments through the years. And one lady that attended my previous congregation in Northern Illinois said, Pastor, I could just listen to you talk all day. So maybe you want to talk that over with my wife. I think she gets tired of hearing me talk all day. <laughs> At any rate, uh, and, and I've had other people tell me that too. Pastor, you've got a gift where you can relate, you can relate the gospel to people's lives in a way that it is relatable. Mm. And I, I take that as a compliment. I take that, I give all credit, first of all, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for being able to give me this gift. Two, I also give credit to my professors at my alma mater, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, Illinois, go Salukis, um, my degrees in radio television, and I learned how to write for the ear, which is a gift to have. Uh, so often, especially in school, we are taught to write for the eye and that means we get to use flowery language and things like that and big words, multisyllabic words. I was taught to write for the ear. And in writing for the ear, it just takes a different style. And I appreciate all of that, but I also appreciate the fact that there is a Father in heaven who was able to give the people that were put in my way the opportunity to teach me how to do this um, they didn't come up with it. This is a good Lord that came up with it, and they were able to share it with me, and I am able to use this for the gift that it is. And I'll say this, I know other pastors who have gifts that I don't have and wish that I could have, and I realize that in that—this uh, is a Romans 12 thing here— that all of these gifts work together for the greater good of God's glory here in his kingdom 
on earth, the kingdom of power, grace, and glory working together here. So when I have a brother pastor who has a better gift than I do or, or a different gift than I do, um, I give thanks to God for that brother too, because uh, we're all using what God has given us to preach Christ and to deliver Christ to people in tangible ways. Well, that's just a good reminder for all of us to see how the Lord blesses his church in different ways. And, and it all comes down to the word, uh, because it says so clearly here, it is about the teaching of the gospel and administration of the sacraments. We see this in an installation, and I would encourage you, our listeners, that if there is an installation, one at your own church of a new pastor, or of a circuit or a neighboring area of a pastor that's being installed, I would encourage you to go, even if it's, even if it's Sunday afternoon during a, a football game or a baseball game or something. It's a real blessing because what happens is it goes through many different passages throughout Scripture that talks about the institution, which often is Matthew 28, or as Pastor referenced before, John chapter 20, and also does uh, AC5. The responsibilities of the office of the ministry, which is uh, preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins and various other epistle um, references, and in the book of Acts. And finally, where does does this pastor find strength as he fulfills these responsibilities? And that's something I would encourage you to look um, in various ways. Uh, we have it in the agenda um, of the, the Lutheran service book, which maybe your pastor has that. You can look at that or go to an installation yourself. Now, pastor, I do want to ask this because there's many resources when we talk about what the office of the ministry is, and we can kind of get lost a little bit on many different opinions. Do you have any suggestions of where our listeners can go to as we learn more about the office of the ministry? Well, first, you'd want to go to Luther's Small Catechism, uh, where it talks about not only how Christians should receive the forgiveness of sins, but also the office of the keys and the importance of that <clears throat> particular thing. I would also direct, if you want a, a little deeper dive, but not a super deep dive, I have a super deep dive I'll share in a minute. The, the little deeper dive is uh, C.F.W. Walther's uh, book, The Church and Her Ministry. Uh, now it's called Church and Office, which I appreciate President Harrison working on getting that um, word back into our language again, at least in uh, the title of that book. Uh, I would recommend that. That's good, pious reading on this particular topic, especially on the topic of the ministry. The other one, if you want the, the super deep dive, would be to take a look at the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series. Uh, the sainted professor Kurt Marquardt, who was one of my professors at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, has written a book called The Church and Her Ministry. And he does a very good job at uh, not only teaching you what the church is and also taking a look at what uh, our, our theologians many years ago had to say about this, as well as what theologians of the last 100, 125 years have had to say about it, as well as the ministry. And he spends a lot of time in the ministry section kind of comparing and contrasting the American scene among Lutherans and what different uh, Lutherans here in our country has had to say about the office of the ministry. And so if you want a, a really deep dive, you can go to that book. Professor Marquardt relates it in a very uh, digestible way to understand. Yeah, it's probably going to be over your head. Some of it's even a little over my head, too. I have to go back and take a look again. But um, always, that's a great thing about Professor Marquardt is 
His writings are very clear and concise, and he writes in a crisp manner. And I, I think you'll be blessed by that reading. I agree. Uh, there is a, a CTCR, a Commission on uh, Theology and Church Relations, as part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, that I believe in 1983 came out with a document called The Ministry, which is very helpful uh, for us to look at. Now, what I'll say about uh, Dr. Marquardt's writings, um, the other writings that, that Luther has, the small catechism, and also as you look at the CTCR report, if you read it and you look at it with the lens of understanding what they're saying, um, especially in the light of Christ, they are very, very, very uplifting of the priesthood of all believers. Yes. Very uplifting of the other offices that we have in life and by no means would ever tell somebody well, you can't proclaim Christ. No, you can't. For, you can't forgive sins like in your home. You can't. You can't do any of those things because, as the baptized, we are free in the gospel to do these things. And as it mentions here, that the Word of God is working freely um, and by the Holy Spirit where and when it pleases. But clearly, we have different offices that we take serious, um, but do not deny the other offices that the Lord gives. Pastor, anything else before we get to the condemnation piece of this article? I think I'm ready to move on. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. The last paragraph on page 33 of the ministry article, article five, it says this. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists and others who think that through their own preparations and works, the Holy Spirit comes to them without the external word. Now, our note, uh, Pastor, does mention this uh, a little bit about um, some, during the Reformation, as also today, some imagined they would experience the Holy Spirit through their own reflections, by joined nature, or by ecstatic religious experiences. And he connects that to what we'd say is the Anabaptist, um, who had a different view of what, I would say, the ministry and the Word of God, and how one comes to faith. How would, how would you break this down as, as he, they reference the Anabaptists? First of all, let's talk about what an Anabaptist is. An Anabaptist, literally Anabaptist means to baptize again, is what that means. So um, examples of Anabaptists in America today would be uh, the Amish, uh, the Mennonites, uh, the Apostolic Christian Church, which is different from the Apostolic Church, which is more of a Pentecostal holiness body. Uh, there are uh, they they come from the the German what used to be called the Dunkers uh, kind of that group of of Christians. There was a group of Apostolic Christians not very far from where I used to serve in Northern Illinois. Kind of that Central Illinois area is kind of their heartland. The Apostolic Christian Church. Those are the heirs of the Anabaptist tradition here in America, in which. Um, they don't look too much to the external word to deliver the forgiveness of sins. They are experiential in their, uh, in their belief uh, that the Lord will somehow speak to them and work through them in a way that is apart from the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. You wouldn't be surprised to know they're not really what you'd call a sacramental church. Um, they're not really... Uh, big on having their pastors be uh, full-time pastors. A lot of these churches even don't have what we would call called pastors. They would just assign or have men be trained up within their, their congregation or their area and say, okay, you're going to be a preacher 
one of our preachers here in this church. And the preachers might take a turn either on that Sunday or on other Sundays and, and stand up and say something, but they have jobs within the community, not so much in a bivocational way, but this is just the way that they do things. Um, that's what we mean by Anabaptist. And uh, this business of finding uh, forgiveness in life apart from where the Holy Spirit uh, shows us where Jesus is planted. Uh, and what it ends up doing is it gives us this business of doubt in our minds. We're not sure where Jesus is to be found. We're not sure where the forgiveness of sins is to be found. So we begin to look inside ourselves. We begin to try to see uh, whether or not we are truly forgiven or whether or not we truly are saved. Uh, does the blood and righteousness of Jesus really cover me or not? Have I done enough to have this? And you see, once again, I'm going back to a different kind of pronoun here, first person, I, me, mine, my, things like that. It, it all goes back to me as if I have some sort of say in it. Our Lord Jesus has had all the say in this matter, and he says, uh, yeah, my, my blood and my righteousness covers you. Do you believe this? Well, yes, Lord, I believe this. Then, then it's yours. Uh, you have it. Uh, and so there's no real need for us to, uh, to think about trying to come up with all of this stuff ourselves, because Jesus has set this thing up called uh, the church. He set this thing up called the ministry. And he says, go find me where I said I'm going to be. And uh, the great thing about it is he, he doesn't say that this is going to cost you a dollar or two dollars to get in. You know, it's, it's free and it's here and it's for you and it's for your salvation. The beauty of, of what we're hearing is how different the ministry will look. In every community, as you've mentioned, you served in different parishes. You, you know, you served a vicarage in a different congregation. You grew up in a different congregation, and you, our listeners, have as well. So, for example, I will say in our own Minnesota, my uh, district that I serve in uh, Minnesota North District, that we have at least three pastors who are part time. One's or four four pastors, two are professors at a, a local community college. Uh, one is a teacher, and the other actually we have quite a few more than that. At least two are also full-time bus drivers um, for wow. the local school and other communities. Uh -huh. And so their lives look vastly different than saying, oh, well, this pastor is full-time. And so when we speak of other denominations and their view of ministry, uh, it, it, you know what? It, some of that doesn't look that much different, but when we see the ministry and the calling that is there, it is clearly different. Um, it is, is clearly something that we see instituted by God, because Scripture clearly uh, confesses this, but also it looks different in so many different communities. Pastor, do you have any stories or any thoughts on the different ways that, that the Lord has uh, uh, brought his people together and their pastors serve in different ways? Yes. Um, where I first served in Southern Illinois, uh, right across the river from the heart of KFUO country, mm. um, a number of the pastors there, also alongside of what they do, are also full-time chaplains in prisons. Most of these are state penitentiaries uh, for a long time, and we it may still be this way, I am not sure. The uh, chaplain at the Marion, Illinois Federal Penitentiary in Southern Illinois was a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I think he has since retired, 
um, and uh, I don't know who is there now. But there's an example of a pastor who can serve one, two, or even three small congregations, and yet also uh, be in an institutional setting like a uh, federal or state penitentiary, and that actually is their full-time job. They do that and then handle these smaller congregations on the weekend. There's an example for you that doesn't involve like bus driving, and I've known pastors who do bus driving, and I've known pastors who have worked in broadcasting, and I've known pastors who have done uh, other I knew a pastor in Indiana for a while who was a welder. 40 hours a week, he welded and then was a pastor on nights and weekends. And that was the way that he fed his family. That was the way that he was able to serve a congregation who may not have been able to pay him full time. And that's okay. In fact, I think we're going to be seeing that model more and more, not just in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but in other uh, Christian churches. church bodies here in the United States of America, too. So most certainly that can happen. And in in the case of prison chaplains, it can be a very, uh, very wonderful thing to serve people who are behind bars, but yet set free because of Jesus Christ. And this is where I think this confession really lays this out for us beautifully, that it it doesn't speak about, and the pastors should be full time. It it always (laughs) begins when ends with uh, so that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. And, and so it always brings us back to the word, the gospel, the blessed sacraments, and, and, and in the community of God's people. So that'd be my encouragement to you, our listeners, uh, to know, okay, maybe I don't care for my pastor. <laughs> maybe I don't care for his personality, but also... Uh, pray, Lord, help me to hear the word, help me to believe the word, and help me to love those who bring it. Pastor, we have about four minutes left in our time, actually less than four minutes. Are there highlights you want to give as we look at the office of the ministry? Like you said, Brady, um, pastors come to their calling with different gifts and different personalities. I have met people in over 20 years of being a pastor who were convinced that all of the sermons that I preached were written by somebody at 1333 Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. That's our synodical headquarters. And that every Missouri Synod congregation in the United States and Canada use the same sermon. That's not the case. Um, Some of us don't even use the same set of readings. We have different cycles of readings that we can use within our churches. Uh, Some pastors are more adept with technology than others. Some are more adept at using technology than others. And some congregations are more receptive at using technology than others. Or some pastors have the ability to be able to write sermons in different styles. That was a class that was offered when I was a seminary student. It may still be offered as, as an elective class options in sermon formation. You can write your sermons in different ways. Are you inductive? Are you deductive? Do you use a homiletical spiral? Do you tell a story? Do you just lay it all out textually? Um, Pastors have a lot of different arrows in their vocational quiver. And pastors also have unique personalities and unique abilities in doing it. Imagine if every pastor in the Missouri Synod 
have the exact same personality. That would be dry, dull, and boring. We have pastors who have different gifts, and I'm blessed, uh, I'm blessed tomorrow to be able to get together with some pastors in my area here, Missouri Synod pastors, and I love getting together with them because it's an opportunity for us to enjoy each other's company and to be able to learn from each other and also to be, a, also be able to visit with each other, not just as pastors, but as human beings. And that's another thing I would, I would bring to your attention, my dear friend, listening wherever you are. Your pastor is a human being. Your pastor is a sinner. Your pastor um, will make mistakes. You'll pray for him, please. You'll forgive him. You'll love him. You'll care for him. He may not be the pastor that you want, but he's the pastor that your Lord has given you. And he's there to bring you forgiveness, life, and salvation in Christ Jesus and his gifts. What a blessing. Pastor David Jewell, St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin, confessing the truth of Scripture concerning the office of the ministry from the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Jewell, thank you for being our guest. Thank you and every blessing in Christ to you, Brady. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm. Oh,